Listener Production. I'm automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. For this episode, I'm at home. My guest, well, he's in Charlotte, North Carolina, the hub of motorsport and NASCAR in particular in the United States, almost 16,000 k's away from me. He's a proud Aussie who now calls America home, but he's never changed. Still very much with his feet on the ground, despite being in the record books as the first Australian to win races as a crew chief in the highest level of NASCAR. Pretty cool achievement, that. The Cup Series is the pinnacle for many. Formula One, IndyCar or World Rally would arguably be the only other forms of motorsport that you could put on a similar level. James Small is a driven bloke who could have absolutely made it as a racer, which is in part why he's so good at what he does now. You'll hear about how hard it was to let go and get a sense of just how clever he is. James studied engineering, has a thirst for vehicle dynamics and he's competitive. Pretty good combo. Nowadays he works for one of the big teams, Joe Gibbs Racing, owned by the legendary NFL coach. There he goes, he's won the Super Bowl of Stock Car Racing, Joe Gibbs. The path there took him via another iconic team in Richard Childress Racing, or RCR. James was successful in supercars before he headed over, playing a significant part in a Bathurst win for Ford Performance Racing and making a brave but brilliant call on the day that Lee Holdsworth would enter that select club of winners. You can hear Lee's recollections of that in his episode in the Rusty's Garage Library. A quick thanks to some friends and colleagues for little bits of intel for this discussion. To Lee Diffie, Jack Perkins, Stephen Richards, Tim Hodges and my producer Tom Dullard who helped remind me of James's intensity, commitment, the sacrifices he's made along the way, a couple of cool backstories and the immense pride when James took over from his Canadian colleague Cole Hearn as crew chief for the likeable Martin Truex Jr. We begin with a window into his early life and the small family's deep connection to racing. It's no wonder he's ended up in NASCAR. James, welcome. This is awesome, mate, that we get to catch up. Can I? I love to start these conversations with a little something that paints a picture for listeners of early life, where you grew up, and I know the answer to this, but the the kind of early motor racing influences for you. Yeah, so I uh, obviously grew up Melbourne, Australia, um, and born into a you know a racing family. Uh, my dad Les, um, you know, he was heavily involved in racing. Um, and you know, when I came along in what 1983, he was deep into the uh, you know Australian touring car scene and and uh, heavily involved with uh, Alan Grice and and all of those guys. And uh, so yeah, from from day dot. You know, that's all I knew and, and grew up really around him and all the guys at the workshop there in, uh, in Knoxfield in uh, Melbourne. There's great vision people can find on YouTube of an old Channel 7 clip of the Chickadee Commodore. It's the closing stages of the 86 race 
your dad's, I think, crew chief on on the car for Alan Grice. He, he's about to win it. You're a three-year-old basically at this stage. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And uh, I, I wasn't there. I just remember that there was a lady who did all my dad's press back then, uh, Pamela Lamb. She, she used to babysit me every Bathurst. So, you know, we were there watching it on TV and I still have memories of that. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, cool, cool time to grow up, that's for sure. You grew up around it, mate, and I would cross paths with your dad at places like um, Oran Park. I want to say the Alcare Commodore and, and things like that were, were, were influences. He had a, a, you know, ironically, where you've ended up now, he had a real sort of connection with um, uh, Thunderdome and, and Oscar engines and, and a lot of that stuff. So you literally were around it, weren't you? Yeah, for sure. And I, I still remember you know, standing up in the corporate hospitality area on the back straight, you know, the first ever NASCAR race there out at the Thunderdome. So, um, you know, he he came over here, him and Alan, and, and did some, you know, they did the what was called the World 600 back at Charlotte, um, you know, back in like I think 87 and 88, you know, and uh, that's when I started, you know, getting into NASCAR and, you know, there were always these weird American guys coming to our house that stayed that when they came out to race here and uh, <laughs> like who, like who? Uh, one guy I remember as a guy he, uh, Bob Rahili, he, uh, he, he owned the company uh, Ray Mock, uh, him and Butch Mock, who who were like one of the bigger teams over here at the time, and and they came out and their car actually won the first race with Neil Bonnet out there and uh, the big Christmas race when all the Yanks went out there, but uh, there you go. You know, it was, uh, yeah, I was, I was, it's weird, you know, where I am now versus, you know, back then to think, even think that this could happen. Can I, uh, Jack Perkins has been helpful here with a little bit of intel or research, mate. He, he um, pointed out to me that maybe there is a BMX state title that you had as a, as a youngster. <laughs> is that true? Have we got that right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, my first racing escapades was uh, BMX racing. So, uh, Mega. Yeah, it was uh, family, friends, well, and a guy I went to school with, he was racing, and uh, I went down to the track in Knox there one night and then, you know, was hooked. And, uh, you know, I did that for, I don't know, three, three, three years, I think. And, uh, you know, being from a racing family, we had all the trick stuff and my dad's up there machining all titanium parts and we've got like, <laughs> I think I think he got so sick of paying retail price, he even opened a bike shop so he could buy everything at 50%. <laughs> but, uh, you know, me and my brother had, you know, you know, a lot of success racing bikes and, and we went and raced all around Australia. Um, you know, we were racing every weekend oh, yeah. and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, eventually, you know, that kind of ended and then transitioned to, you know, four wheels and motors. Tell me about that. What was the the um, push or maybe the conversation or obviously karting was the was kind of the next phase? How did that all come about? So we used to go and race uh, at Lilydale BMX track a lot and there was an indoor go-kart track there on the, on the way home. So every time we'd race there, we were going to indoor go-karts and... Uh, <laughs> You know, I was never allowed to race motocross. My mum wouldn't let me in. And finally, it got to the point when my dad's like, okay, I think, I think you're good enough now or whatever. Let's let's go and uh, we'll get a go-kart and, and, and go out. So, so yeah, that happened, I think, when I, I was actually not super young. I was nine, I think. I, yeah, I think I was nine when I started. And uh, But before my first race, I, I 
we went out uh, to Oakley go-kart track there and we practiced a lot after school, you know, week after week. And I had another guy, Mike Donaldson, that used to come out and between him and my dad, they'd stand on all the corners and make sure I hit all the right apexes. And so, yeah. And then my first ever race, I went out there and won every race and, and killed everybody. And they all thought we were cheating. So... <laughs> <laughs> you're a racer, right? And we'll ultimately get to the, the job that you're doing now. But it, it's clear, mate, you had the talent and you could have continued on that path. Was that the early ambition, the early want to be a driver? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, that's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to go and race Formula One like every young kid. And, um, you know, and growing up, that, that was my aspirations. But also there was the realisation that, you know, my mum and dad weren't extremely well off you know they worked hard and did everything to give us what we we needed and try to support us as best as we could but eventually if we couldn't find money we we're going to run out of our own money and and that's where you know I always had in the back of my mind you know if I went to school and got an engineering degree you know I could always fall back on that and then continue you know to work in racing for the rest of my life. Is there a story of you and Larry Perkins having a conversation and a promise that he made to you while you were at school. And I'm, I'm, I gather, mate, you were pretty smart when it came to your, your schoolwork. No wonder you've ended up in that sort of engineering space. What was the promise he made and, and did he deliver? Yeah, so uh, I, was in, uh, I was in high school and uh, obviously, you know, we spent a lot of time with Larry and Jack through go-karting and obviously my dad knew him for, forever. And... Uh, and Larry said, if you go, you know, go and get your mechanical engineering degree, as soon as you're done, I'll give you a test in one of my cars. And uh, I'm like, okay. And, you know, we never spoke about it ever again. And, uh, you know, after all those years, whatever it was, five or six years later, I literally finished. I, uh, so it was 2006. And uh, I did that. I, so I went to Swinburne University and we did that Formula SAE thing. And I think we finished that on the Sunday and it was a week after not sleeping. And then I drove to Winton the next morning and I think we tested, no, that next afternoon, Monday afternoon, and we tested all day Tuesday. And that was, you know, he honoured his deal. And, uh, you know, I think that same day Moff was testing and Timmy Blanchard and it was the three of us, you know, flogging around at Winton. And it was, I think it was like 40 degrees outside, but... <laughs> you know, it, it went good. And, you know, I, that literally, that test, I was going to go and race development series the year after with Larry and, uh, and, and even do the endurance races in one of the JD cars. And then it all kind of fell over in, uh, you know, mid-January and, you know, because of funding for the, guy, the other guy I was going to be running. And, uh, yeah, it kind of killed my, <laughs> killed my racing career. Can we t touch on, if you don't mind, just some of the gaps here before we get to um, supercars and things like that? Firstly, I'm told, mate, you have a scar on your arm yeah. from karting to this day. Now, this is this is an audio medium, so you're going to need to paint the picture here. You and I can see each other, obviously. You're in America. I'm at home. So, so uh, you were so determined, am I right, to, to kind of save the cart and there was something wrong, maybe a stuck throttle or a brake issue or something, and you, am I right, you grabbed the chain. Is that right? No, so uh, go sounds stupid right now, doesn't it? But uh, so we were racing at Ipswich, and uh, it was the the final, and oh, it was Junior Intercontinental A in nineteen ninety seven, and uh, my brakes ended up going out halfway through the race. They were barely working, so uh, 
pretty much did the whole race, you know, just kind of cruising, letting off, rolling through the corners and, uh, you know, finished the race and got points or whatever for the championship. And uh, rolling in the grid, the in grid after the race. And, you know, back then, you know, you always saw guys going really slow. They put their, their, their hands on the back wheels and just kind of coast. But yeah, that's, I, to this day, I really don't know what happened. I'd even done that before. And those carts had a clutch. So you'd roll in, shut the motor off, roll in, put my hands on there. And all of a sudden, my right arm, the chain somehow grabbed my suit and pulled my arm in. And, the, and it rotated around and the sprocket just sawed my arm. And I like, because I didn't want to run, I could have just run into the fence, like, and everyone would have been, oh, what's that guy doing? Like, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I could have run into a cart. Like, I think that was Bart or Bart Price or Jamie in front of me. I can't even remember now. And, uh, and I got out of the cart and Bart's standing there and he's like, holy shit. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I was, my body must have just been in shock. And like, there was, you know, my arm was just cut open and, uh. They, uh, I think Gary Dumbrell grabbed me and took me to the hospital and we drove to uh, the hospital in Ipswich and, uh, yeah, they, they were in there. They had a toothbrush and they were trying to, you know, wash out all the motel chain lube and dirt and I think I had like 60 stitches, you know, of like, you know, super thick, looked like fishing wire. <laughs> yeah, I was I, – the guy said I was so lucky it missed the uh, ulnar nerve by like – less than a millimeter otherwise i would have lost whoa yeah i was really really lucky so um lucky yes that was was an experience i think for years i still had gravel coming out of my arm appearing every (laughs) (laughs) it was weird you rattled off a couple of names there mate can we just explore that a little bit i mean bart price gary dumbrell what about some of the others that you're on track with um during this phase of your of your karting career who were you rubbing wheels with back then um so you know, when I started, um, you know, Jamie Winkup, uh, he, I started and I was in midgets. He was in rookies. And then obviously my dad, you know, was knew Graham a lot. And Graham, his uncle, his shop was actually across yep. the road from my dad's, in that, like literally right across the road. And uh, so then obviously I moved up and raced against him. And then Will started racing, uh, Davison in rookies. Um, you know, obviously is Bart Price. And then <clears throat> as we moved up and moved around more, you have Michael Caruso and Alan Gurr and Clayton Pine, those guys from New South Wales. Um, good crew. Good crew of races, mate. Tough competition, hey? Yeah, there, mm. was, there was a lot of good guys. So, uh, you know, and there's guys from Adelaide, Jamie Carter, he was good. You know, there's a whole bunch of different guys. And, um, you know, obviously a, a lot of them have gone on, you know, to be successful and, mm. Um, yeah, it was a good good time to be racing. Don't underrate your own efforts here, mate. Is there an Oceania title on the on the shelf? What did tell me about some of that stuff? Yeah, so that was uh, nineteen ninety seven. So uh, that was so they'd always run the Oceania Championship up in uh, at Oran Park, and then uh, then it moved down to to Melbourne. Then um, ninety seven at Todd Road there, and uh, I had not raced, you know junior it was called junior in Connell a at that time um and you know we spent a lot of time out there me and bart developing the carts for drew and uh um, out at todd road testing a lot and you know yeah i ended up winning that race my first race in that i think uh 
So it was all those guys that just rattled off. They were all the ones racing too. And I think I, I chased down Clayton Pine past him and 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 won that race. And uh, it was weird afterwards. They actually disqualified me um, for the most random thing. They they my spare engine had a, uh, a, a exhaust temp sensor in it that was sitting in the trailer, and they tried to had a, a had a data logging on the cart, which you could just look at it and know. <laughs> But I think the, the guy, the head official, he was from France and I think he's maybe he's Belgium. I don't know. But he had it out from my dad from a fight they had back in the 80s. So uh, he was out to get me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we uh, we won the appeal anyway and I won. So it was, it was the weirdest thing ever. But yeah, that, that was a cool experience. That's for sure. You brought up your dad there in karting for a moment. Is there a little yarn in, uh, maybe you won't like this, but... <laughs> but um, did he get Did he get barred from the track for a little he while? Did. And you would take you would take you would take your younger brother, and you actually kind of quite enjoyed that, didn't you? That whole phase of taking your younger brother and looking after him in the cart. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, you know my dad's a fiery character, but this 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 uh, <laughs> this instance, I don't think I don't even think I was at the track when this happened. I think he was there with my brother, and he hit an official's hat off his head. Like it was, we didn't, it was the most random thing. And then he ended up getting thrown out. So yeah, it was just me and Benny and, uh, you know, that was before I could drive. So then another guy, Rob Macri, who's sadly not with us anymore. He, he used to drive us around and then eventually, you know, I was old enough to drive. So then I'd take Benny everywhere and, 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 you know, dad didn't really come anymore. So, uh, Yeah, it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Just me and Benny, and yeah, we had a lot of success. You you in the travelling around the country. I think Jack Perkins said to me that when you raced in in Adelaide or or South Australia, for example, in the the you know for the state championships down there, was it Colin Moat that would actually build a custom cart of sorts for you? And Moat he had a connection to Russell Ingle back in the day when Ingle was a a gun in carts too, didn't he? Yeah, so that was uh, what year would that have been? 90, 98 maybe I think or something. Yeah, Modi, he uh, he was he was Russell's guy. He used to build all Russell's carts back in the day, and it was Modi and and Russell and Bobby Smith who you know used to help me a lot, and uh, who, who was Russell's mechanic forever. And uh, yeah, he we went out there and he built me a special cart, and uh, I think we were leading that race, and uh, something went wrong with the engine, and uh, it was yeah, but that. Yeah, he helped me a lot too. He was a good dude. We used to go and stay at his house and uh, have a good old time. Awesome. The natural progression, James, is is Formula Ford. It's been the the you know tried and tested pathway for youngsters like yourself when you've come out of of karting. And you did you did head that direction. How big a kind of sacrifice was that for the family to begin with? I think um, I think you looked at a at a Miguel at one yeah. point, didn't you? But it, it wasn't the competitive beast you thought it would be, and so on. Yeah, so I think, uh, so I started, you know, we first went Formula Ford racing in uh, 2000, I think it was. Yeah, 2000, and we bought, um, I think it was Aaron McNally from Perth. We bought his 96B, I think, through Brett Lupton, and, and we ran that in the State Series, and that was, you know, my first foray into, you know, bigger cars. And then for 2001, we, we got a Miguel, uh you know, my dad obviously knew Dougal McDougal really well, and he was the importer at the time. And um, I think Luke Yulden and Greg Ritter had been, you know, running Miguel's. And then the 01 car came in and it was an absolute lemon. And, uh, 
you know, we were running it ourselves and uh, I think, uh, you know, Will was in the 01 VD with Mick Ritter and Jamie was in Luke Yildon's 2000 Miguel, I think, and, you know, which was a lot better. So we kind of struggled through that year and uh, we tried to do the full season and, uh, you know, we, it was a little up and down and obviously we weren't that competitive, to be honest. And then the year after we spent um, – we did just a handful of races. Um, and, you know, that's when I started really getting into more of an understanding of the whole vehicle dynamics of a car. Cause you know, I used to try and work at, you know, I was doing all the engineering work, you know, and all the stuff on the geometry or whatever and the motion ratios and all the roll stiffness and everything like that. And we started working and testing to try and make that car better. Um, and then ultimately in 03, I just went over and we measured it at Van Diemen and tried to copy the geometry and motion ratios and everything. <laughs> and uh, we did some more races that year. And I think I ended up winning the national round at Sandown, the last race of the year um, in that car. And finally we got it good. And then the year after, uh, I then went and drove for Mick uh, in a Van Diemen and, and we kept running that Miguel and, uh, for another guy and in the state series. And he actually won the state you know, state championship. So that car still resides at my dad's shop. One day I'm going to go back and put it in the historics, I think. <laughs> I want to just touch quickly on Sonic. I mean, you mentioned Mick Ritter there. So that was a four-car team back then, which included, mate, uh, David Reynolds, Michael Trimble, Bryce Washington, who I think you mentioned before, and and Davey Reynolds would actually win the championship that year. So you're in some pretty good company in that operation, and that, and that team has a um, – a proven kind of ethos, mate. They're, they're great at helping to shape young people in the motor racing environments, aren't they? Yeah, no, they're, they're awesome. You know, Mick and Maria, you know, they're great people. And then, you know, you have Graham Ritter, Mick's dad, you know, he's, he's an absolute legend. I love him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was lucky that year, you know, my mechanic was Ashley Seawood and, you know, I learned a lot from him and Mick, you know, just the way they go about their, their racing and the attention to detail they pay with everything. And, uh, you know, it was a fun year. You know, we had, you know, a lot of good races and then, you know, some bad ones. And, you know, I felt like we could have won the championship that year if we just, you know, I made mistakes. We had some mechanical issues and I lost my head a couple of times. And uh, <laughs> I think I got black flagged and disqualified one time while leading. And it was just, I don't know, it was one of those years where I felt like, Maybe I did it to myself, but the officials are out to get me, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was odd, but it was awesome that Dave won. You know, he's a good friend of mine still to this day. One thing I love in your answer here, mate, and it, it's sort of filtered through a little bit. Even Lee Diffie told me as well that, you know, you have a beautiful grounded nature about you, which you've kept to this day despite the the mammoth job that you now do in in the premier level of NASCAR. But you have a competitive side, mate, don't you? You have a real inner determination about you. Was it was it evident at a young age, clearly? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like I even saw schoolwork as a competition. You know, I Did always wanted to, Oh yeah. Like <laughs> you know, like if we if we were studying or if I knew somebody that was slightly smarter or better at something, I'd go and study with them to try and work out what they knew and <laughs> I just hate to lose. Uh, it, it eats me alive. That's why I don't gamble because I can't stand losing. But uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, I I just, it eats me up. And, you know, I just, you know, I just want to be the most competitive and, and most successful at everything I do and just leave no stone unturned. You know, I just, 
it probably is a detriment in sometimes because I'm so anal about certain things. But, you know, I think overall that's a better quality to have than not really giving a shit. <laughs> it's, it's an essential quality, mate, for what you, for what you now do and as an element of, of what's needed for success. Can I uh, also just delve into the, the, the point you talked about in relation to the, the, the growing fascination with the engineering side, right? How much of that stemmed from maybe maybe um, early lessons with dad in in the workshop, or or how much of it was kind of uh, you wanting to or having this thirst and wanting to find out more? Tell me about that. Yeah, like so, I grew up, you know, with my dad. You know, he was he has a jack of all trades, but more spending a lot of time with him around engines, and I, I just didn't really care for that, and. Uh, you know, I was more interested in the cars themselves and the, the setup stuff and, and all of those little details. And and really it was more like the go-karting stuff that really got me into that. Like in a lot of the testing and development we used to go and do, you know, with the Arrow stuff and even on myself and then working with my brother, like understanding like all the little small things you could do and going and changing something and, and the effect of that and just that's probably, you know, what got me more into it. And, uh, and then just the technical side of like, you know, reading all the magazines, like, you know, the race car engineering and the, you know, the circle track, you know, magazine from over here. And that's, you know, I just kind of soaked it all up and I've always been interested in it and just understanding, you know, all the things that make it tick and the little things you can do to make things go faster. So, um, you know, they didn't teach you any of that at university. You just went there to get the piece of paper, really. <laughs> you did get to do the, the Formula SAE thing. Probably worth telling people a bit more about that that don't don't know it. We often um, see young students at the Australian Formula One Grand Prix, for example, and, and talk a bit about the, the great work that they do. And that brings all the elements together in terms of of of, of engineering of uh, of mechanical creation if you will and, and then even on the competitive side James doesn't it it's an interesting thing and it's obviously changed a lot you know it's almost what 17 years since I did it and uh, you know I think they're transitioned into some electric stuff but they're still you know even over here that a lot of the really good guys um, you know I work with you know especially the younger guys now all came up through that you know because it's not hard if you don't have connections in the racing industry or anything like that. It's it's hard to you know sink your teeth in and actually you know learn about that stuff. And that's a mm. it's a great platform. You know some people talk down on it, uh, but I still think it's you know it's a great thing to go and learn and uh, you know and then work in work in a team as well of people working together trying to you know you know divide tasks and you know mm. work out you know how to do everything the most efficient way possible possible. So you've got an engineering degree, Larry Perkins has given you a test, you've come through some racing yourself. Where's the defining moment for you where you decide, okay, I'm going to go the other side of the, outside the car, work on the other side of pit wall and, and focus on that. Where was that decision made and how difficult was it for you to make that call? Really, it was the start of 2007 um you know I was still at school in 2006 it was my final year and um you know that year I spent time you know my dad and I were actually going to the races with uh, Robert Smith and when Nathan Pretty was running we were kind of tag teaming the engineering on his car and then eventually we went 
and actually ran Paul Morris's car for the last part of the year. And um, I was then trying to do that thing after I tested with Larry and, and I was going to go and try and do development series the year after. And uh, Paul was actually going to help, you know, fund it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was going to pay him back once I found all the sponsorship. <laughs> and because uh, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So at so, that point, yeah. I, was st- yeah, I was still all set on racing. And, and it wasn't until, you know, that phone call Larry I still remember I was sitting at my desk in my bedroom and Larry's like rings me up and he's like hey cock and he's like uh <laughs> we're uh we have to pull the pin on this deal I'm like what do you mean he's like uh the other guy who was bringing more of the money I think it was actually Shannon O'Brien and uh he was going to go and drive the second car and uh he pulled out so he's like we're just going to shut the whole program down and I was like, oh, man, all right. So I ring Paul and I'm like, this is what's happening. He's like, oh, shit. Well, he's like, well, you can come and work for me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really want to move to Queensland at that point. And uh, so there was a couple of ads at the time in auto action, I think, for for jobs. I'm like, i got to get a job now. Like, sure. I've got my degree. I, I, I've got no racing prospects. I've got no money. Um, and one of the jobs was with uh, Gary Rogers. So, and obviously... My dad as well. I say my dad all the time, but you know he goes way back with Gary. So I I ring Gary, and uh, he's like, "Yep, come come and have an interview with me." And I was I had to go to New Zealand uh, for a Formula Toyota race to go and work over there, and um, so I went and saw him when I got back, and you know he interviewed him and he took me around to see Steve Kramer and uh, make sure because he was engineering the other car and make sure he was okay with me and. Uh, then he rang me up and I thought it went well. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And uh, he rang me up and he's like, all right, I'm going to pay you uh, 30000 a year. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I'm like, well, respectfully, I'm like, I can go and make more money packing boxes, Gary, so I'm going to have to decline. <laughs> so then he's like, <laughs> he's like uh, all right, give me, uh, give, me, give me 10 minutes or whatever. Or give me 30 minutes. <laughs> Literally, he rings me back in five minutes. And he's like, all right, I'll uh, – I'll give you, what did he say? I think he said, I'll give you 35 and we'll review it in a month or whatever. <laughs> it was something like that. Or maybe it was 40. I don't know. It was, it was still not much money because a lot of my friends, and it's not about the money. It's never been oh, that no. for me. But some of my friends were going to go and work for Holden or whatever at that time and they were making like, you know, 65000 or something. And uh, so eventually I said yes. And uh, so I went and... Uh, it was to go and race engineer Lee Holdsworth's car. Holdsworth, which, yeah, yeah. To this day, like, and that was really the last time I ever, oh, there was maybe one time that year that I considered driving after Gary gave me a test. He was trying to get me to drive the year after, and I said no. But, um, yeah, that at that point I was all in on engineering. And, uh, you know, I'm to this day I wouldn't be here without Gary Rogers, you know, giving me mm. that opportunity and, um you know, I always appreciate that. And uh, same with Paul, you know, those two guys helped me a lot in the early mm. side of my career. So, I mean, is it, was it a little kind of bittersweet moment in the sense that the engineering thing you had, you had studied in, there was obviously a future there and, and you committed to that path, but, but you were more or less closing the door on the, the driving chapter, mate, when that can that kind of been easy. No, no, it wasn't. And, uh, you know, I don't think it was probably until 2009 or 2010 that I was finally fully over it. You know, really? Uh, 
Yeah, like I think uh, I always kind of questioned, you know, if I'd made the right decision or not, you know, because I think like the first time I met Lee, we were actually were driving Smithy's car at Winton the same day, a test. It was the first day he drove a supercar and the first day I did. And uh, It was a little bit of a shootout for memory too, wasn't it? Is that right? Yeah, like, I, I, <laughs> I still think I was faster than him to this day. But uh, I guarantee I was. But, and then the funny thing was that year is that uh, so they used to do a, a, a rookie day or a rookie shakedown day or whatever. So the middle of the year, because was, that was when the VT was coming along. No, the VE. The VE was coming along. And we started the year with the old car in the middle. And then we, we finally got the new car in the middle of the year. So we went to Winton and uh, did a driver evaluation day, I think it was called. So Lee was allowed to do 10 or 20 laps, I think, 20 laps. And then I could do it all. So I went out in the car first, shook it down. <laughs> then Lee got in. And then I went back out and went faster than him. And then Lee got back in and went faster than me. And then I went back in. I think it was like, and that's after that. That's when Gary's like, so do you, do you want to drive? And he, he said, so in part of his negotiations to get me to stay the year after, he was trying to, instead of paying me more money, he wanted to. Uh, give you a drive. He, he wanted to give me three <laughs> development series races and drive in the endurance races, but I still had to engineer Lee's car on all the, I was like, yeah, that's great. But being the perfectionist I am, I'm like, I don't think I could do either, you know, to the ability that would be required to be successful, you know, and yeah, I, ultimately I said no. And that that's probably the last real chance I had, you know what I mean? That, that mm. I questioned for a little while if that was the right decision or not. Great indication of your makeup, though, mate, that you could see the need to knuckle down and apply to one or the other, basically. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, you have to be all in on whatever you're doing. You doing. Know, you can't, yeah. yeah, especially if you want to be, you know, the best at it. So. Well done. Great takeaway for those that are that are listening. I love that shootout story. Lee's been on the podcast as well. <laughs> and, and and the hilarious part, mate, is that you were both kind of, um, as youngsters, you know, you're, try, you're trying to make it, you're, you're scrambling. So that's why you were beating each other is because there was so much riding on it for each of you in that shootout, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, but uh, yeah, it was good. We had a good year and I, I love working with Lee. It was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was, it was good and, it, you know, win with him and all that and then see him to go on to a really long career is, you know, it was great. It sure was one hell of a career for Lee, including 510 races and in there a Bathurst 1000 victory. Lee's story is one of our favourites and you can hear it back in the garage. I was just praying that we didn't have another tyre failure. And I, I just didn't relax up until I thought when he came out of, like all the team were up and about when he came out of Forest Elbow. And I thought, can still have a tyre failure down Conrod here. <laughs> so you were I, thinking, you were I thinking mean, that. honestly, I just thought, I, I, I never ever, I get ahead of myself sometimes. And I thought, I'm not getting ahead of myself here. And I waited until he was in the chase. And then I thought, we got it. We've won. And, yeah, ran over to the fence and celebrated really hard. How'd that feel? Oh, incredible. Incredible. To, like, at the time, I, I think I was that stressed and that had that much adrenaline that it hadn't sunk in yet. Like, mm. it, was, it was quite strange 
and I reckon I get more emotional about it now than what I did at the time, was like, we just won Bathurst and and it wasn't, it just wasn't registering in my head what, You'd done. that we'd actually done it. That is Leon Rusty from 2022. Now back to James, all the way from Charlotte. That's my neck of the woods. Gary is, I mean, you, you've, your families knew each other, obviously, but but Gary, probably a bit like Larry in many ways, is a is a huge believer in hard work ethic and sometimes you can end up doing very boring, basic jobs until you get uh, sort of established and, and so on. What were the early learnings from from Gary Rogers Motorsport? Well, yeah, it was, it was a little weird because I came in there and, uh, you know, there was obviously Pierre was there, Pierre Orsi and... Um, and I saw what they were doing on a few things and I had spoken to Lee and I was like, this doesn't make too much sense to me. And um, I, was, I was a lot more fiery back then than I am now. So uh, there was a point there where it wasn't too long after I started. It was before we went to our first test and uh, I'm like, I think we need to do all these things and I want to try this with the shocks and, you know, change the front geometry and this and do this in the rear and all this. And, uh, and they told me, no, we can't do that. We can't do the shocks or whatever. So I was like, so I, I think I went to Cheryl and, uh, I, I, I lost my mind and said a few expletives and whatever. And then Gary got involved and I think they're like, oh, let him do what he wants. So we went to the test and we tried all these things. Everything we tried was better, 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 better. And I think at the end of the test, at that point, from memory, I think that was the fastest a GRM car had ever gone around there. And I think Lee was second in the test behind Mark Winterbottom. You know, and so we went to Clipsal like that. We, you know, that same philosophy and qualified in the top 10 and both days. And I think we finished, we DNF the first day because of a power steering issue. And I think we finished eighth or something the next day. And that was like the best, you know, results they'd had. And, you know, we just kind of built on that for the rest of the year. And I don't know, that gave me confidence. And I think, you know, it gave the team confidence in me and what we were doing. And, you know, it kind of, we kind of exceeded everybody's expectations, but it was, it was a little weird to start with, but after all that, you know, it was, uh, everyone came on board and yeah, it was a good year. And there were such good people there, you know, Cheryl and Gary and Les and all, all those guys. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys, you know, I, I met one of my good friends, my mechanic uh, back then, Cam Stevens, who was around forever, you know, just such great people to work with. You get to taste from memory, um, some success with them too, didn't you? Tell us about that day. Yeah. So that was, uh, I think we qualified fourth that weekend. It was a good weekend, and uh, yeah, Sunday, Sunday. It's going to be we some weather, the, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. There was. It was. It was going to be wet, and we we're on the grid. And uh, <clears throat> I'm like, it's gonna, it's gonna fucking rain. Like I know it's gonna <laughs> rain. And I said to Lee, we're starting on wets. You know, I actually think we had the wet set up in the car too. And uh, so I think we finished the first two races in the dry, like around fourth or whatever. And um, then uh, we changed the car as well. I'm like, it's going to rain. So we put the wets on, literally on that on the parade lap back around to the grid, it started raining. And like everybody, like all these gurus that all went <laughs> on slicks and whatever, they're all peeling off. I think there was only a few of us that started on wets and, uh, and Lee just killed the field. Like 
even the people, no one was even close. You know what I mean? And uh, we just, yeah, it was, it was, it was actually easy after that. I'm sure it wasn't for him, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome day for you know, and every you know they hadn't won for a while, and to get a win like that in you know dominating fashion, not like a reverse grid win or something, you know that yeah. that was awesome for everybody. He'd been a battler. It meant so much to him. I know he's reflected that in the in the podcast conversation we've had. I can vividly recall it from my time at with uh, with supercars and um, and so on, but. Um, was that the moment that you felt kind of um, cemented in that supercar paddock? Because you're talking in in, a, in Australia, you're talking that the pinnacle of of you know sort of domestic competition, aren't you, mate? It's a tough environment. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I guess so. That's a, there's a weird question. Uh, I was still very young. You know, I was only 23, mm. 24 years old. So maybe people didn't. I don't know. Certain people maybe didn't think that or maybe thought it was lucky. I don't know. You had a guy, a lot of guys and older guys that have been around for a while. and Time, yeah. I honestly think, you know, maybe it took maybe a couple more years. It was maybe after we went, you know, after I, I left GRM and went to Paul's and, and started having this success with Russell that maybe people yep. maybe, you know, started to maybe – think a bit more of me, you know what I mean? Yeah. In the move to to Paul's from from Larry's, was that was that a difficult thing? Was it just that you, you know, I think your dad had a connection with Paul's at the time there as well. Was it the sort of thing where you just thought from a progression point of view you wanted to try it? What happened there? So one of the big things was, you know, Paul had offered me a job that year and uh, I had said no because I didn't want to move from Melbourne. And um, But the big thing he was offering you know, we'd spoken about in a lot of conversations about, you know, bringing a car to America, doing a lot of testing, doing the wind tunnel testing, the seven post testing, the KNC testing and trying to develop some simulation tools. And and he was going to allow me to go and be like the head engineer and run the, you know, the engineering department. And, um, you know, that was an opportunity all through all of that and coming over here to get experience that I couldn't say no to. It was like Hmm. that, that was a once in a lifetime chance essentially to go and show that, you know, that we could do it ourselves almost. And, you know, I was lucky. Um, My data engineer that year at Gary Rogers was uh, Brad Rashusen that still works at, you know, FPR today or whatever they call themselves these days. Um, So uh, he, he came with me as well because, you know, he was all in on that as well. And, uh, you know, we got, you know, some good pay rises and, uh, <laughs> you know, but it was just the opportunity for us. And, you know, there was a couple of other guys and my friend, Timmy Newton, he came up there and worked and, uh, you know, it was like, it was almost like being back in school as a, you know, it was like four, four of us really. And, and, uh, Joel Binney that was also up there still. And then my dad was kind of the team manager and we pretty much had a free for all. We could do what we wanted, design what we wanted, we had an amazing machine shop and, you know, water jet cutter and just everything and great fabricators. And, you know, we, we learn a lot in America, um, you know, on, on the aero side as well and, and certain mm. things. And we were just able to apply all that. And, you know, it was sad we didn't actually win a race in 08, but, you know, we had a hell of a year and, you know, I think everybody was kind of thinking Russell was done and, you know, we kept, you know, you know, 
just kept punching on and we're always up the front. So it was, it was a good time. Did you, am I right in saying that you met Dale Earnhardt Jr.? during that American trip. <laughs> yeah. and, and, there, and there may have been a conversation, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, so I may not get this right, but, but you certainly expressed an interest to one day come back and work in NASCAR. Am I right? Yeah, so that trip at the start of 08, that's what, that was the time when I'm like, I'm going to come and work over here. You know, I, I always had aspirations to go and I wanted to go and work overseas, whether it was Formula One or, or, or NASCAR and hmm. um. You know, we came over here for two weeks, I think, and, you know, we had a lot of fun too and had a few parties and <laughs> and all that. But it was it was a very, you know, it was a big culture shock, you know what I mean? Like it's very different and, uh, you know, you didn't really, you kind of understood, but the, the technology and the money behind everything, when you started walking through some of these shops and, you know, speaking to these people, it was like pretty mind-blowing, you know, for us, you know, for what we had out there. And, uh, you know, that wet my appetite and, you know, I, I knew it was only a matter of time that eventually I'd, you know, try and come over here and, and try and make a career of it. So, yeah, I'm, that trip, you know, once again changed my life and, you know, I was thankful that we got to do it. Was it the enormity? Was it the racing? Was I mean, you already knew about it from your, your dad in many respects, but seeing it in a first-hand sense and, and then experiencing it like that where you are meeting people like Dale away from the, the track and so on, did that just enhance the desire to go, mate? Yeah. So uh, I think the first time I met him, he, he walked in, he's like, oh, he's like uh, I'm fucking Dale Jr. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, shit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm James. And uh I think we were in his in his shop there on his property and he was trying to get me to drink moonshine and I was like, gee, I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> the, the, what they have back then, they had the, the DMP, the Dirty Mo Posse or whatever, and they were down there hanging out. And obviously Owen Kelly was over here at the time. He yeah. came over because, you know, it wasn't long after, as you know, that he, I think that year he drove Dale Jr.'s late models and I think Model, it was 08 yeah. and uh, – yeah. But, uh, and the, yeah, I think Keslaski was driving for him at the time. He just started in the Bush series or Xfinity series, whatever they call it then, nationwide. And he was there starting fires. And it was just, it was just the most random, <laughs> the most <laughs> random time ever. And there's a lot of people that I met on that trip that now I know, like, I know more of who they are or whatever or, the, or you know, what they got up to after. And I, I don't know, it's just, that was fun time. So, uh, yeah, I'll never forget any of that week. Can we can we fast track a little bit of the supercar career here before we get to, to NASCAR, mate? There's a, a period there, I think, with Kelly's, with uh, with Dave Reynolds, and then ultimately with um, with FPR, as you said before. They're, they're now now Tickford Racing. But one of the standouts, mate, is winning Bathurst with Mark Winterbottom and Stephen Richards in yeah. 2013. Take us back to that day. Yeah, that was. Uh that was still one of the most amazing days in my career. And, uh, you know, I'd always wanted to win Bathurst. That, you know, I, I love to try and win the championship, but Bathurst was the number one thing. And, you know, obviously my dad had won it a couple of times and, uh, you know, just I wanted to emulate him and, you know, and it's just, I just knew, I don't know, I'd kind of already made my decision that I was going to move to America the year after, but, I wanted to win so bad before we left. I did not want to have to go back and try and win. And uh, it was just a, 
it just was a weird weekend. Like I just had this feeling that we were going to win. Like I think I, I said this on one other podcast I did a while ago. Like it's I've never had this feeling ever that I knew we were going to win, like in any race. And uh, I think I told the guys on Saturday night before we put the cover on and, and maybe Alan Contarino, Mark's uh, father-in-law, I'm like, we're going to win tomorrow. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. It was going to win. And, uh, you know, it just, it just all worked out. Everything kind of went to plan. And we had that tight finish at the end with Jamie. And, you know, that whole day, it, Richo did a, an immense job. I still think he went faster than Mark that day. Like, he was, he was on it, you know. And uh, he, he got us where we needed to be. And obviously, Mark did an awesome job all racing at the end. And to be a part of that, you know, that group of people that had been trying for so many years, you know, a lot of those guys there had even worked for Glenn Seaton, you know, and been disappointed mm. so many times. And, you know, it's like guys like Chris O'Toole and things like that, like to have to, to be in pit lane when we cross the, you know, the line and, and, and see the emotion on everybody's faces, I'll never forget that. Tell me what gave you that confidence. I mean, that that's the sum of many parts, James, be it people, be it engineering, be it performance of your drivers, why did you have that eerie belief that, that you could do this? Because not many people would express that, mate. Not many people would say that before a race of that magnitude. Hey. I, that's, that's a weird question. That's, that's like I said, still to this day, you know, I felt we were <laughs> we were well prepared and, you know, practice mm. had gone well and, you know, we we had had a good year and Richo had had a lot of time in the car, you know, we've made mm. sure of that, like even in the tests, you know, like trying to make sure that he was like really up to speed and, you know, comfortable. And we just had a great combination. And I think, you know, uh, the year before gave me confidence, you know, cause we finished second with Dave and Dean, you know, when I was mm. on the 55 and that one still eats me alive. I still wear Dave out about that, but, uh, Do you? Yeah, he should have just he should have just lunged Jamie. There's only a, I so keep saying to him, there's only ever one fiftieth anniversary Bathurst. So, uh, but at least we won the fifty first one. But uh, yeah, it's just it was just the sum of everything, I think. And I, it was weird, as I said, I never had that feeling. Mm. But uh, I'm yeah. I'm glad it worked out. It was close to that didn't work out, but uh, but yeah, no, it it was good. So. And it was a, it was an awesome year. We just had, you know, I feel like we could have won a championship. We just had mm. too many small issues and some mechanical things with transmissions and shocks and tire failures and silly things. But uh, you know, I really like working with Mark and Richo and all those guys. That game, that that event is uh, a game where strategy is so vital too, mate. And your world is about strategy in many respects. Now, when did you get your sort of head around that and how good are you at reading the the race and and moving and things you know moving parts on the run and so on yeah that's a huge part of it especially there because you know it's it's so uh it's so tricky like especially it's a little different here you know but there like you're always balancing against stopping against how much fuel you have in the car and have fuel time and you know you've also got the driver time aspect there and you know you're always thinking it you know, if a safety car comes out this lap, what am I going to do? That's the way I always approached it. Like you always had the plan in your head before it even happened. And, you know, it's a long lap there for a racing lap. So you've got a little bit of time to think about it. And, uh, uh, yeah. 
you know, I think those last two bathos I did, you know, we got the strategy both years, you know, really well. And, you know, you've also got help there, like your data engineers, you know, with all the fuel and everything. So you're all working there together. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I kind of miss that aspect of, uh, of racing. Like, you know, we have strategy here, but it's, it's quite different. It's not, you know, you're not weighing up so many different things. You alluded before to the fact that you'd more or less made your decision to go to America even before you, you won Bathurst, but you were hell-bent on, on trying to win a, a 1,000 before you, before you left. When did you make that call, mate, that you were going to move to America, and how did that all come about? So uh, it was we raced Coda back in uh, you know, the start of 2013 there and um, with the supercars, and then the week after uh my brother and i actually flew from austin to charlotte and uh i spent the week here and prior to that you know i had lined up uh a couple of interviews you know only with two teams one at rcr and then another at penske so the rcr connection came through uh one of my dad's friend robbie benson you know who was an engine yes. builder work everybody kind of knows him out there and uh he obviously his last job over here was uh he, he managed the engine shop at DEI and then they merged with uh, ECR or RCR to form ECR. So he had a lot of connections there. And, um, you know, so he interviewed there and uh, then interviewed at Penske with uh, Tim Sindrick. So that came through one of my brother's friends. Um, you know, he knew Tim quite well. And, you know, so went to the Penske shop after we had lunch and, you know, spoke to all those guys and, and they both offered me jobs. Um, you know, pretty much the week after when I got back to Australia, they they, they had the offers. And uh, the issue with the Penske one is that they couldn't tell me where I was going to be or what I was going to be doing. And uh, I really wanted to come over here and go on the road and, and work for a cup team. And so thankfully uh, at Childress, they offered me a job as, as the second engineer on the 27 car with Paul Menard for the year after. So, um, I took that one, and, you know, that's what I told the Penske guys. That's that's why I had to go and do it. You know, I just I needed mm. to get everything happening in the visa and everything. So literally probably June, July, you know, I'd put the wheels in motion that we were going to move. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that, that's how it all came about. So I knew, nobody else knew. Um, mm. My wife obviously, well, she wasn't my wife at the time. My, my fiance knew and uh and uh yeah that's we kind of just kept it under the radar and and kind of kept lining everything up and i actually haven't told anybody i don't think that <laughs> i knew that far back <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um yeah so uh yeah i was very lucky and you know i i didn't know like i thought you know from here they're taking a huge chance on me and you know mm. um so I, you know, I didn't accept, I didn't push them on money or anything. I'm like, gee, I'm just getting the opportunity to go over there. So, you know, we had to, you know, take an extra mortgage out on our apartment out there and get the money together and all of that. So, you know, it was, it was a big commitment and we had to go and get married just, you know, so we could get our visas and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a weird time and uh, yeah, I was just lucky it all worked out. 
it sure has. You'd argue he absolutely made that luck with the way that he applied himself. That's the end of part one of my podcast with Aussie NASCAR crew chief James Small. There is another full lap for you to enjoy in the Rusty's Garage Library and it's ready for you to fire up right now. So head over whenever you're ready. From working with another iconic NASCAR team, one that he was a huge fan of as a kid, to the tough moments of a new life, a long way from family and friends. The supercars teams that kept calling, trying to lure him back, and why America is now home with lots of unfinished business. 